Hello all and welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast, episode 67. So in a slightly different turn of events, today we are discussing what everyone should know about back pain. So this is going to be a bit of a mini-series and tonight we're kicking off with part one, which is going to be our first tip about what everyone should know about back pain. In other news, if you haven't heard of, heard already, we have a brand new website, www.thebackpainpodcast.com where if you are someone suffering with back pain you can head on over to the podcast website pop in your address or your postcode and you can find someone tried and tested by us close to you to help you with your back pain and if you're a practitioner and you'd like to be listed drop us an email at hello at the back pain podcast and someone will be in touch with an application but that's it from me i'll leave you to sit back and enjoy the latest episode on what everyone should know about back pain Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Right, Dave, good evening. How are we doing? I'm very good, Rob. How are we? Very well, thanks, sir. So, in our first of our mini-series, in What Everyone Should Know About Back Pain, I said this is part one. What is the first thing we're going to cover on tonight's episode? Right, let's do this. So, the first thing in this fantastic new mini-series, of course, is one of our favourites. Pain doesn't equal damage. So, I'm going to take this away, guys, and then, um, Rob, do you want to jump in after? Yeah, happy to. Cool, let's do it. Okay, look. Um, one of the things that we always try and impress onto people in the clinic or over the airwaves now is that pain isn't equal to tissue damage. So the more pain you feel doesn't necessarily mean something worse is going on. People often equate pain with damage to the actual tissue and it's just not necessarily the case. We know that we can have pain in the body with damage, i.e. You know, after trauma. We know that we can have pain in a body part without any damage damage at all, like a, a migraine. We can also have damage without any pain. So the other way around, such as a, a ruptured blood vessel in your eye, so you get the, the redness in the eye and you may not have even felt it. We can also have pain without a body part at all, so phantom limb pain. We know from amputees or even people born without limbs that they can feel immense pain or any sensation or even sensations in the limbs that they don't have anymore or never had in the first place. So pain has to be more than just tissue damage, right? Pain has to be more than just damage. So Rob, um, I mean, what is pain? Yeah, I mean, if we look at the actual definition of pain, you know, the definition of pain by the International Pain Society is pain is an unpleasant sensory or emotional experience in relation to actual or potential tissue damage. And I think that the key message that we take away from that is the word potential. I even potential tissue damage can actually cause the pain. So I think what we're, you know, Dave and I are trying to get across in this episode and want people to understand is that the idea that pain is is linked to threats, you know, pain is linked to threat and it's your brain that controls these sensations of pain. When your brain perceives something as a threat, it triggers a warning and it warns you. But the only way it knows how to tell you that is is by creating pain. So the fact that pain is totally controlled via the brain does not mean you're making it up. Firstly, let's make let's make that very clear. It means that it's or it just means that it's the brain's job to decide whether something is painful or not. 
And that's dependent on all of the stimulus that it receives all the time, all throughout the day. So it decides at any particular moment whether something is important or it's an emergency, whether it wants you to react on it, whether it wants to just ignore it. And the brain can control that and it can upregulate pain signals to make things more painful and also downregulate pain signals to kind of, you know, to make you get out of the way and run away from that saber-toothed tiger as the uh, as we I know we've spoken about that example before <laughs> absolutely um well on that sort of evolutionary push to get out the way to to run to fight um Rob you've got an amazing story which I think you've nicked but it's still an awesome story um from is it Lorimer Mosley the the snake on the ankle story Oh, yeah. So Lorimer Mosley is a, a pain researcher, irony of all ironies, ironies all, of all ironies um, from <laughs> Australia. And uh, again, this story has been it's a bit Chinese whispers. So, you know, I hope I've, I'm getting this right. But a pain researcher, he grew up in the bush or grew up in Australia, in the bush. I don't know where that is. He grew up in Australia. <laughs> is that a place? Um, he grew up in Australia and he was walking through, is it the outback in Australia, the bush, whatever it is? Um, he was walking through Australia somewhere and he, he scuffed his foot on a stick, which he's done a thousand times before. Didn't think anything of it, carried on walking. Within a few minutes, started feeling ill, started feeling nausea, sort of nauseated, was sick and then passed out. And then woke up two days later in hospital after being in a coma, after being bitten by one of the most venomous snakes in Australia. And I'm sure there's quite a lot of venomous snakes in America, so in, in Australia. So <laughs> he got bit, bitten by, by one of the most venomous snakes in America. It, in America, in Australia, I can't even speak tonight, I do apologise. Um, it got, yes, bitten and he didn't even notice it. He didn't feel it until he was already passed out. And then... The interesting side of it is the flip side of that is that once he recovered and he went back out walking again and he scuffed his foot actually on a stick this time, mm. his body reacted like he had been bitten by a snake. So his body went into overdrive. He felt immense pain. He felt puncture wounds. He felt venom traveling up his leg and he felt all these horrible sensations as if he had been bitten by his snake. So this is showing us that the brain takes into account so many factors when it decides something should hurt or not. And a big part in that is previous experience. When he first kicked that, when he first got bitten by the snake, his brain thinks, oh, he's probably just kicked another stick. This happens all the time. Nothing bad happens as a consequence. We can probably ignore this. Despite him actually having puncture wounds, despite him actually having venom flowing through, flowing through his foot. Whereas then conversely, when he actually then secondary, second time went around and scuffed his foot on a stick, his brain thought, oh, crap, last time this happened, we nearly died. <laughs> so it kind of flip reversed it and made it react like he was in pain because it sensed it was under a threat. So it shows how it takes into account all of these factors when we're when it's deciding whether something should hurt or not. And it's not necessarily dependent on the damage or the problem that's happening at the time. So is this the same reason that, that people can walk away from car crashes, um, uh, sporting roll arounds with, you know, uh, a broken arm, uh, a bone sticking out of somewhere and they don't feel that because they're so focused on the game. They're so focused on the cut on their finger. They don't realize that big injury that's sort of out of their focus. Is this that same pattern or same process? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what a sports roll around is. Quite, <laughs> like, quite like a sport roll around. But yeah, effectively, you know, and it's the same way that people have, you know, how many people have bruises on themselves and aren't aware of, aren't aware of how they got it? Mm. You know, they've, they might have bashed their foot on things. You know, your brain can override things at the time if it's got something bigger to deal with, you know, and that's, people can do amazing things. He said, walk away from car accidents, pull people out of burning buildings, not being aware of pain and problems because the brain has that power to override it. Um, you know, as you said, sports matches, rugby matches, people come off with cuts and bruises and broken bones. There's stories of people being in war zones and being shot and not feeling it until after the battle's over. And some, you know, 
some incredible stories of the power of, of the brain. And this should be quite confidence boosting to people because it shows that not only can with the brain upregulate pain, but also can downregulate pain. You know, it, it can, it has the ability, we all have the ability to reduce pain. We just have to know how to kind of harness it. And I think that that context, if I can take us away what we're supposed to be talking about, um, that context is super important. Uh, me and Rob were talking the other day about, um, I think, Rob, you've used a fantastic analogy on the on the podcast before of if you were in, if you felt like you felt at the gym, heart pumping, racing out of your chest, tension across the muscles as if your head's about to explode in a deep, deep squat when you were, and if you felt like that, when you woke up at night, you'd think something was wrong. Um, often with patients, they describe it being a good pain when you're working on their muscles, ligaments, joints. When you're applying some pressure, they say, oh, that's quite nice. That's a good pain. Now, if that pain come out, came out of the blue, came out of nowhere and just appeared, uh, your body would have no, or your brain rather, would have no context for it. Um, it would be a pain out of nowhere. It would seem like some sort of injury. But when you're contextually applying that to there's a positive stimulus going on, your brain will switch that and think, oh, well, this is a good thing. This is a nice pain. This is a, a pleasant pain. That, although that sounds like a paradox, it's something we hear day in, day out. So it's that that context and your brain's ability to place the pain, um, which can be the end factor in what that where that pain goes, rather than the actual damage underneath. Is that right? Yeah, it, yeah exactly. That is, is the context is important. You know where you feel that pain, where you're aware of it, all has implications, and your your brain's understanding of pain. Like I said, if someone's saying to you, "This is going to hurt." You know, whether that's, a, you know, you go for a massage and they're saying, well, you know, you're in that position and you might be expecting this to hurt, you know, so you might be thinking, but if you believe that this is going to do you some good, you'll probably tolerate a lot more pain than if you, than if you, than if you, I said, woke up in the middle of the night with the same level of discomfort, you know, so you can justify pain and you can, your brain can make sense of it. It often makes it feel a bit better sometimes. You know, we often have patients who once we've explained pain or explained that there's nothing seriously wrong, they will often immediately feel better. Or if you tell them, actually, no, you can bend and lift and move and stretch because nothing bad is going to happen, they feel better again because they, you know, they're not worried, they're not holding themselves as tight and they, you know, that understanding of pain gives them the confidence and can actually lower pain as well. So Rob, um, come on, give it to us. What is pain then? Why does this happen like this? So pain, you know, I think the, the biggest misnomer about pain is that we have these pain nerves, you know, we have nerves that send pain from you know, your toe to your head, you know, and we get this this painful nerve. And there isn't really a, a painful nerve um, or a nerve that specializes in that. We have lots of different nerves in the body and effectively different nerves speak different languages. You know, so nerves have different receptors on the end of them in the skin, in the muscles and all sorts of areas, which get activated, you know, stimulated by different stimulus. For example, we have receptors on the skin um, which, respond, or which respond to heat and we have receptors that respond to pressure and when these nerves get activated by, you know, heat or pressure, you know, they chatter in that language. So the heat, you know, receptors send heat signals and that's, you know, sending a message along the, along the nerve that's saying heat, 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 heat. And the brain's interpreting that saying, okay, we've got some heat here. And then, you know, if there's some pressure, the pressure sensor is saying, cool, we've got some pressure here and it's sending pressure, 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 pressure. And the brain's kind of interpreting that. You know, what people often think of as pain nerves, what we call nociceptors. And these nociceptors, you know, specific receptors, you know, they don't have specific receptors to heat or to pressure like stimuluses. They, these are just very high threshold nerves that basically get activated by lots of different stimuli. So lots of different things that can activate these nerves, but basically it has to be in a large amount. So 
although they can't give specific feedback saying we've got some heat or we've got some pressure, they just say there's a whole lot of crap happening right now. So they get interacted when lots of stuff happens. So all of this information gets passed into spinal cord which then ev- and, and up to the brain, which then evaluate, evaluates what this means. So if we've got some heat you know, chatter coming on, we've got some pressure chatting coming on, and we've got these nociceptors saying there's a whole load of this going on, you know, we know that something potentially is happening. But if we then also then have some smoke, which we can smell, and we have some stress hormones being activated, and we have some flickering of some flames in the corner of your eye, your brain kind of takes this all into account, and it can then produce the pain experience, which is superimposed on kind of the, you know, the brain's mental map onto the body part where this came from. So it knows that this is coming from the you know, left, left foot, and it can superimpose that onto the brain so you know that you feel it into, in, in the left foot. So we're not having that pain nerve. It's just that you know, pain superimposed onto the brain. And so that's kind of, you know, in very layman's terms, how, how pain gets transmitted from your foot when you're burning your foot in a fire <laughs> to, to feeling it on your head, to feeling it in, in your brain, basically. Well, this is it. And so in that, um, in that cascade there, in that chain, the brain is always the last link. So the brain is then the supercomputer, which is decoding all of that information from your nerves. And to do that, the brain leans on previous experiences and therefore can upregulate or downregulate pain. So make it better or worse comparative to what you're expecting. And this is based on many, many, many factors, including, I mean, some things that you wouldn't even think of, like stress, anxiety, depression, uh, negative thoughts, fears, beliefs, hormonal patterns. Um, There's so many different factors that can attribute and can uh, contribute to how you're feeling that pain at the end of it. But I mean, this should be a positive story that we're talking about with patients. Uh, Firstly, just that because they have pain doesn't mean that there is any damage or anything seriously wrong. It might be that there's some damage, um, but there isn't necessarily anything there. It shows the power of the brain to influence pain, i.e. it can make it better. Not always... um, uh, make it worse. So we, we often talk about this in a, a more negative state because it's um, it's really quite cool to relate and, and uh, explain how actually the pain can make it so much worse. But look, this can be made better as well. The brain can make this pain better. It can upregulate or downregulate what you experience depending on your outlook, your mindset, your, um, your attitude and your past experience of, uh, of course as well. Yeah, for sure, and and I think also that uh, another takeaway, which we want, we kind of want people to understand, is that your pain is real. You know, we're not when someone says that you know your brain is deciding whether things are painful or not. That doesn't mean you're making the pain up. And I want to be really kind of clear about that. If you are feeling pain, you are feeling pain. The pain is real. Yes, pain is subjective, and people might feel different pain levels with different things, and people might have different experiences of pain. It might feel different qualities and describe pain in different ways. But pain is pain. And if you think of pain, you know, the analogy we use is pain is like a fire alarm. Many things can set off a fire alarm. And everyone who's got a fire alarm, hopefully most of you, know that a fire alarm goes off when you've burnt the toast, when the, some kettles set it off, steam from the shower. I remember my house used to set it off. It was a nightmare. It can set off when the batteries run out and then it goes off every 20 minutes. Or actual fire can set off the fire alarm. Actual heat from the fire can set off the fire alarm. However, it makes the same noise every time. And pain is the same. It can have many, many triggers, but the pain is real and that experience of pain is the same. So the issue that arises here is that many therapists, clinicians, doctors try to explain this and they try to explain about how 
pain is you know, controlled by the brain and your brain can influence pain. And if you have seven minutes to explain it and you don't have an hour-long consultation to answer all the questions, it can very easily sound like someone is saying that you're making it up. And, you know, I don't know very many therapists, I don't know any therapists at all who would probably say to a patient, I think you're making up this pain. <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, no, maybe there are, I don't know, but I think the vast majority of people aren't. And when people, are, when people are saying that they have pain, even if that doesn't match the experience that the clinician is expecting or it doesn't quite match what the clinician would expect with that, you know, condition or that disorder or whatever that doesn't mean that you're making the pain up your pain is real so i think that's a really important takeaway from this i think the other takeaway which i really like to fall back on is that migraine example that you said at the beginning you know people are aware that a migraine can be one of the most painful pain experiences that people have ever had and people regularly say it's the most pain that i've ever had full stop and you can have had no effects before the problem and no effects within one minute of the migraine going away. No long-lasting effects. Yes, of course, there's, there's certain neurological things that can happen, and people get you know blurred vision and things during a migraine, but generally, before and after, we have no lasting effects from a migraine. And you've gone from zero to 11 out of 10 pain to zero, sometimes in the matter of 25 minutes. And you know that is huge pain. There is no damage happening there at all. Mm. And so, so that's one example. So there's I, I use a lot. physically squeezing that brain or, or, or changing actual physical cells. Um, yeah, um, but, but there's not a, an, in, uh, an a trauma. external yeah, damage. Nothing, that's a trauma happening. Yeah, yeah. There's no, nothing. Nothing is dying. You know, nothing. We're not people think that you know. Often people think of when they've got the back pain or the knee pain. You know, oh, it must be bone on bone. Things are getting worn away, and this is rubbing on this, and that's what's causing the pain. And things are pinched, and things are trapped. Whereas we don't have that same analogy. We don't have that same kind of thought around headaches, which is really interesting. Fantastic. I mean, I mean, look, we've been chatting for 18 minutes here, Rob, and I feel like we've only really just scratched the surface of this. Pain does not equal damage. Like you said, I think often this conversation is tried to be squeezed into a short consultation or rushed through, and the person in front of them ends up thinking, it's in my head. Um it's not the case, as Rob said, your pain is real. If you feel it, it's real. What we're trying to get across is you are able to influence how you react to that pain yourself. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. That's so true. And there are lots of methods to to help you manage that pain. And understanding it is is a big part of it. Understanding how pain works, you know, understanding pain. There are things like cognitive behavioral therapy, helping people talk about pain and other talking therapies. Exercise is a big one. It helps improve people's tolerance to pain, understanding of pain. So there are lots of ways kind of to help manage chronic pain doesn't have to be a this kind of fix me mentality there are lots of things that people can do for themselves to help them understand the pain so there are lots of resources that people can go to to help them understand pain you know a few of my favorite ones uh julia gover's ted talk um so if you search youtube for julia gover and ted talk i think that's got twenty five thousand views something she did a ted talk all about yeah the biggest myth yeah brilliant one she's also been on the podcast i can't remember which episode number it was I'm going to say it was about 15 episodes ago, something like that. Yeah, Julia Gover, The Biggest Myth in Back Pain. That was a fantastic episode. You're looking it up, Dave? You've got the number? 62. 62, yeah, a brilliant episode with Julia Gover. He goes into this into a lot more detail. And I've got a book in front of me by a guy called Monty Lyman, um, a book called The Painful Truth, which has just come out. And he's a doctor, and it uh, is all about the science of why we hurt and how we can heal. And he's a very, very good writer. It's a very, very good book, which goes deep into chronic pain, all in very patient-facing language, 
Um, if you would like to know more about this topic, it's definitely worth a read. We'll try and tag a link to that in the show notes below. And we'll try and get him on the podcast soon, I think, as well, actually, because he's definitely a, a very fascinating chap. I would love that. Um, yeah, fantastic. The painful truth. Brilliant. And that was episode 53. I made a mistake, guys. 53, the biggest myth in back pain. Julia Gover. Uh, check it out, the Back Pain Podcast, episode 53. Um, it's a corker. Rob, that's all our time for our mini-series. They call it a mini-series for a reason, guys. We're gonna, guys, we're going to try and keep them short and sweet. Anything else to add, Rob? No, that's it. I think, as always, if you like the show, please go on over to iTunes and give us a review. Or even better, share this episode with a friend, family member, colleague, patient, anyone who needs to hear this, or anyone who'd like to improve their knowledge about back pain or help them understand their own back pain, share this episode with us. It means the absolute world to us. Or you can tag us on Instagram, at The Back Pain Podcast, or Twitter, at The Back Pain Pod. We're quite active on those social medias accounts, so um, you know, feel free to hit us up and give us a follow. It means the world to us. Um, we still are getting a ton of questions um, from you guys, especially over Facebook is the question he um, uh, medium at the moment do keep them coming guys we try and answer them as quick as possible and we often will use your questions or your uh, or your answers i suppose as episodes for the podcast so if you wanted a specific thing going over send it over we'll get back to you and we might even be able to include that as a specific podcast episode love it perfect and we love hearing from you as well so always lovely for people to reach out fantastic Brilliant. We've been the Back Pain Podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening to us and we will catch you on the next episode. Over and out. Love you, bye.